To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayina.com dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H slash dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dream. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidil Anbiya'i wal Mursaleen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yumiddin Allahumma ja'alna minhum wa minal ladhina amanu wa aminu salihat wa tawasaw bil haq wa tawasaw bil sabr Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen thumma amma ba'd Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Inshallah ta'ala we're studying Surah Al-Shams today and I'm uh, experimenting with a new approach to conducting the sessions so please make dua that it's a successful experiment bi-ibnillah um, the experiment is as follows. I'm going to try to establish the parallels or at least articulate the parallels between this surah and the previous one, lump sum in the beginning. And then we'll talk about the layout of this surah second and then actually go into the ayah by ayah tafsir study and the word by word analysis inshaAllah ta'ala. So we begin of course based on that methodology with the series of parallels between surah al-layl which we're studying now, and Surah Al-Shams, the one that preceded it. So while Al-Shams mentions in its beginning, وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا جَلَّهَا وَالْلَيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَاهَا This is in the previous surah. So it, was, it mentioned the day, and then it mentioned the night. And it mentioned the verb jalla with day, and it mentioned the word yaghsha, the verb yaghsha with night. So to be bright, and also to cover up. The opposite sequence is being used in the very beginning of this surah. So we're finding, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى It's the reverse. So there, there was day and night, and now here is night, night and day. The other thing that's interesting to note from a grammatical or syntax point of view, is in the previous surah we learned, يَغْشَاهَا There was the additional pronoun, ha. So we learned that the night covers the sun up. It covers up the sun. يَغْشَاهَا The ha referring to the sun. Here Allah just says, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى He doesn't mention the object of the verb as you say in English, or the maf'ulun bihi. It's not mentioned, the dhumil muttasil is not mentioned. And the benefit of that, of not mentioning it is, it of course creates the question. When you say, I swear by the night as it covers up, that's what the beginning says. وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى I swear by the night as it covers up. 
the obvious question that pops in your mind is, what does it cover up? What does it cover up? And of course, the answer to that has already been established in the previous surah. It covers up the sun, right? As many of the mufassirun have commented. What we're learning here is, this, this surah is almost expecting you to look at the previous surah as a reference point. Because by saying yawsha by itself and not mentioning its object, you're forced to think about the object that's already been mentioned in the previous surah. Similarly, Allah Azza wa Jalla in the previous surah says, وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا جَلَّاهَا That's in the previous surah, in Surah Al-Shams. Allah says the day as it makes the sun brilliant. But here the day itself is brilliant. وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّا Now we know what makes it brilliant in the previous surah, the manifestation of the sun itself. Right? So the two are intricately connected, even, how, even the way you think about the subtleties in language. One is forcing you to consult the other. Then another interesting nuance that's been mentioned about the two verb tenses. When Allah speaks about the night, and it's covering up, he uses the present tense, yagsha, al-fi'l al-mudari'. But when he talked about the day making bright, he didn't use the present tense, al-mudari', he used al-madi. Jallaha and tajalla. They're both madi. They're both the past tense. But when he spoke about the night and it covering up, he used the present tense. Now in English, we think of past and present tense in very simple terms. But in the Arabic language, one of the benefits of the present tense, al-mudari', is incompletion or partiality. You know, some little bit of something and then a little bit of something more, etc. It's an incomplete sort of a thing. While the past tense is considered a complete act. It's something complete. And the way it's been commented on, I'll just read the Arabic off to you. وَاسْتِعْمَالُ صِيغَةِ الْمُضَارِعِ مَعَ فِعْلِ يَغْشَى هُوَ لِأَنَّ اللَّيْلَ يُغْشِي شَيْئًا فَشَيْئًا بِالتَّدْرِيجِ The benefit of using the present tense with the night covering up is that it only covers little by little. It takes stages to cover up and it doesn't necessarily cover everything. Even though the night is dark, it doesn't make everything invisible. It doesn't hide everything like it hides the sun. Actually, we learned in the previous surah, something still, a remnant of the sun, still comes out and is bright, which is the moon that follows it. Right? وَالْقَمَرِ إِذَا تَلَاهَا So we know that the, the present tense here, the benefit of it is, that it's not absolute in its covering. But when Allah speaks about the day, He says, jallaha and tajalla, which are past tenses, which means they're absolute. It's the, the whole act is done. Meaning the day immediately brightens everything and makes everything manifest and nothing is hidden now. Everything is out in the open. So the way that's covered, uh, when, when the Mufassir speaks, he says, هو ليس كالنهار الذي يتجلى دفعة واحدة بمجرد طلوع الشمس. It's not like the, the morning time, which immediately in one shot, it gives brilliance to everything. Once day manifests, everything starts becoming clear immediately. The next oath that Allah Azza wa takes, that's again in keeping with comparison from the previous surah. Allah said in the previous surah, وَالسَّمَاءِ وَمَا بَنَاهَا وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا طَحَاهَا This was what we learned in Surah Al-Shams. So Allah spoke about the sky and its architecture, and the earth and its expanse and its smoothness. But now here, He takes a different oath. He doesn't mention the sky and the earth anymore. He says, وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى How remarkable the creation, uh, how remarkably He created or what could have created such a remarkable creation of the male and the female. So the previous surah had the contrast of the sky and the earth, and this one has the contrast of the male and the female. And there are actually many parallels between the sky and the earth as a contrast, and the male and the female as a contrast. And we're being asked almost to reflect upon the parallels between them. The sky and the earth go together for a larger purpose and create a day. The day is not, and, and, you know, uh, and the sky, it works in cohesion with the earth to produce vegetation. The earth could not produce what it produces unless it gets help from the sky and the water comes down from the sky. 
So they work together for the process of life to continue. And so does male and female. So the plant life on the earth, it's like the, the earth gets impregnated with plants. Just like the female gets impregnated by the male. So there's these parallels of the process of life that take two very com completely different things, two contradictory things, and makes them part of a whole. As though they're not two separate entities, they're part of one larger picture. Though they're apart, they're part of one larger scheme. So in the previous surah, Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned different aspects of his takhliq, of the process of creation. He used the, word, the verbs banaha, tahaha, he constructed, he, you know, he leveled out, right? he built. These are all different aspects of creating. But here he used the comprehensive term, almost putting the two together when he says, وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنثَى So the, the word khalaqa is more comprehensive. It sort of sums up what the previous partial verbs were illustrating in the previous surah, banaha and tahaha. Then another very interesting nuance is that in the previous surah, Allah Azza wa spoke in the third person. He spoke in the third person. وَنَفْسٍ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا قَدْ أَفْلَحَا مَنْ زَكَّاهَا So he spoke continuously in the third person. But in this surah we will find Allah Azza wa immediately switches over and he starts speaking to the, in the second person. So for example he says فَأَنذَرْتُكُمْ نَارًا تَلَبَّ I'm warning you, I've warned you. So it goes from third person to second person. And we should understand the purpose of going from third person, he, she, they, to second person. Third person is general. When I say, you know, a person should be good, a person should be generous, a person should be kind, in your mind you're thinking it could be any person. It's not necessarily you, I'm talking in general terms. But when I say you, I'm not talking about just anyone, I'm talking about you. It's like I'm taking a universal lesson and making it applicable directly to you. So the previous surah had these universal lessons in the third person. But now we're learning they're not just for, for you to think about in theory, these lessons apply to you directly. So there's this switch from third person, universal, to second person specifically to us as the audience or the audience, the original audience of the Prophet ﷺ. So, in the previous surah now, we learned, وَنَفْسٍ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا We learned about this incredibly balanced creation of the nafs and how Allah programmed it to recognize its evil capacities and its capacity to protect itself. What is good for it, what is bad for it. And innate nature, a fitrah was already put inside of it, that it can figure out what's good and what's bad, and that this is ilham from Allah. Allah inspired it to have this much sense, which you can call a conscience that we talked about last time, right? But in this surah, Allah takes that foundation that He established, and He, he tells us, despite the fact that all of you have been pre-programmed with such an ability, it's still interesting to note, inna sa'yakum, Lashatta, that all of your efforts are all over the place, they're dispersed. And we'll talk about the word shatta when we come by, come to ayah by ayah tafsir. But essentially what we're learning is, even though all of you know what is good and what is bad essentially, we still don't find all of you doing the same good things. We find some of you are doing good and some of you are doing bad, your efforts are all over the place. Inna sa'yakum lashatta. The other thing to note is, in the previous surah, Allah mentioned the feelings or the, you know, what goes on inside the nafs. وَنَفْسِي وَمَا سَوَّهَا فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّهَا Cleansing the nafs, an internal thing, right? Putting the nafs to this, an internal thing, a psychological, a disease of the heart if you will, right? A disease of the nafs. But here we're finding the outside, the, the outwardly. So the previous surah talked about the nafs and its inner state, and immediately now, إِنَّ سَعْيَكُمْ Your efforts, and efforts are outward, their actions. So the inside, what's going on inside the person, and what's happening outside are being compared in between these two surahs. 
Similarly, in the previous surah we learned, in Surah Al-Shams, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا The one who cleansed it, who was able to clean themselves up, literally, they are the ones who have actually already attained success. In this surah, Allah will describe what does that mean. How do you attain that success? In the previous surah, it was just left as a declaration, whoever made an attempt to cleanse it, has attained success. The how was not answered. The how, the question mark remained. Now that question is being answered, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى That entire definition is basically an exposition. It's explaining what Allah mentioned in the previous surah about the one who attained success. That path to success is being described. Similarly, in the previous surah, Allah said, وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا The one who basically abased his nafs, put it in the dust, basically literally failed. What is that path to failure that is going to be described in this surah when we study the translation? وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَ وَاسْتَغْنَى وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَى So that the, the two summarized declarations are now being given for, full detail in this surah. Another very interesting and subtle beauty of this surah is the, the two problems of rebellion. What is on the outside is tughyan. كَذَّبَتْ ثَمُودُ بِطَغْوَاهَا This is what we learned in the previous surah. That Thamud lied against the truth because of their rebellion. They rebelled against the truth. But in this surah, the disease is not rebellion. The disease is something else. وَمَا يُغْنِي عَنْهُ مَالُهُ إِذَا تَغَدَّى Similarly, istaghna, Right? So what are these words? What do all of them have to do with? They have to do with wealth. We'll find his wealth doesn't benefit him any. He wants to become free of need. In other words, once, you, once this person starts becoming wealthy, they start, stop relying on Allah, they start relying on their wealth. They stop, feel, stop feeling that they're dependent. They feel they're independent because of their wealth. And when you feel independent financially, or you think you can manage on your own, then you don't feel the authority of someone else because you're no longer dependent. You know, when you're working for your boss and he controls your paycheck, then you're a little more obedient. Because if you, if you, you know, mess around and you do things the way you want to do them, your paycheck's going to stop. But if you feel you're rich enough, you hit the jackpot, some, you inherited a few million dollars, what happens to your obedience to your boss immediately starts disappearing, rebellion takes course, right? Rebellion comes in, but the source of it was wealth, right? We see this in human nature. So the previous surah mentions rebellion, taghwa, right? Bitaghwaha. And this surah mentions one of the root causes of rebellion is this, the, the diseased attitude towards one's wealth or one's a- assets. So that's mentioned in the words istaghna. It's mentioned in the words وَمَا يُغْنِي عَنْهُ مَالُهُ إِذَا تَرَدَّى And then finally also to cleanse yourself of that attitude الَّذِي يُؤْتِي مَالَهُ يَتَزَكَّى We'll read that ayah also. So it's a whole, this, the theme has become wealth here. That's become a major problem in the, in the psyche of people. Similarly, and, and this is something remarkable, two kinds of people have been mentioned, right? The, the good, the righteous, وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى And also the wretched, وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى The one who accepts the ultimate good, the one who rejects the ultimate good. But you know, both of these people are in trouble. You know, you ever heard the idea of what, what's considered self-righteous? Meaning a, a person does good things. They protect themselves from evil things, they act righteously, they obey Allah, they don't fall into the wrong things. But then they start developing the attitude that they are guided. That they somehow own guidance. Because they're such good people, they are on the right path, they're guided. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions even that as a disease. So He says, إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا لَلْهُدَى we, It is only upon ourselves that we, we take the responsibility of guidance. Guidance is not something you're gonna have. You're never gonna have it, you're gonna keep asking for it. 
You'll get it when Allah gives it. And the moment you stop asking, it won't be there. So it's not something you can own through your deeds. You have to own it, or you can, you can only get advantage of it when you beg Allah Azza wa Jal for it. Of course, we learn this lesson, very simple lesson. Every time we recite the Fatiha, we ask Allah for guidance. اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ So this was the righteous, and how Allah corrects him in the words, إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا لَلْهُدَى But then there's the wretched. And the wretched person who disobeys and rebels against Allah, who we already said feels free of need, this person thinks that he is in control. He owns. He's in charge. And of course, when you have wealth, the idea is you own something. So Allah says, وَإِنَّا لَنَا لَلْآخِرَةَ وَالْأُولَىٰ It is only we that actually own the hereafter and even the earliest. Meaning this life and the next, the real owner is Allah Azza wa Jal. The real owner is Allah. So we'll talk about this, the, the two corrections that are being made. One of the self-righteous and the other of the wretched, wretched in these ayat. Then a really interesting and subtle nuance. In the previous surah, فَكَذَّبُوهُ فَعَقَرُوهَا The nation of Thamud, they lied against the messenger, number one. And the, the ultimate crime, the high crime they committed was, they violated the miracle that Allah had sent to them. They disrespected the miracle that Allah had sent to them by slaughtering that camel, فَعَقَرُوهَا right? But the first thing was, they lied against the truth, and then they committed a crime against the miracle. You could put it this way. In this surah we will write, read, الَّذِي كَذَّبَ وَتَوَلَّى The same process, except for the people who are in Quraysh right now. What does Allah say? The one who lies against the truth, just like كَذَّبَتْ ثَمُودْ فَكَذَّبُوهُ In the previous surah, just like that. But now, what crime are they going to commit? It's not against the she-camel. What is the miracle Allah sent to the Quraysh? It was the Qur'an. So how, what, what is the crime against the Qur'an? وَتَوَلَّى And he turned away. Turned away from what? Turned away from the Qur'an. So the previous surah committed, the previous nation committed a crime against one miracle of Allah, the she-camel. And this nation is committing a crime against another miracle of Allah, the Qur'an itself. And a, a beautiful contrast has been made. In the previous situation, Allah's demand on the kuffar, on the people was, stay away from the she-camel. Stay away from it. And they rebelled against Allah and went towards it and attacked it. And in, in the case of Qur'an, Allah is not saying stay away from Qur'an, He's saying come towards the Qur'an, and they're doing the exact opposite, they're staying away from it. So this contrast has been established in these words. The other thing is the messenger, Salih alayhi salam. He, said, he warned the people in the previous surah, we talked about the ayah, you know, فَقَالَ لَهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ نَاقَتَ اللَّهِ نَاقَتَ اللَّهِ Watch out, this is the she-camel of Allah. وَسُقِيَاهَا And its place of drink, be careful. Don't, so he was warning them. He was warning them. In this surah, a step further is taken. In which Allah Himself says, I've warned you. فَأَنذَرْتُكُمْ نَارًا تَلَضَّى Don't even think the Messenger is warning you wasallam, Like Salih warned his nation. Don't think like that. It is actually me who's warning you through these words. Don't think these are the words of a man. These are my words. So this incredible warning has been given directly to the people of Quraysh. A step far beyond the warning even given by Salih salam to his nation. Interestingly also in the previous surah we, we heard the word al-ashqa al-ashqa idhim ba'atha ashqaha when the worst and the most wretched of them got up to try and kill the she camel and the gang kind of went behind him and they, this posse went to do this crime this is when the messenger warned them this surah tells us what happens to al-ashqa so Allah azza wa jalla says la yaslaha illa al-ashqa fa anzartukum naran taladha la yaslaha same exact word, no, there's no accident. Allah says, no one will throw themselves into the fire 
into this blazing, flaming fire, except Al-Ashqa. So their behavior was mentioned in the previous surah, and the consequence of that behavior is mentioned in this surah. And by the way, in the previous surah, the consequence was mentioned, but in dunya. What was the consequence in dunya? فَدَمْدَمَ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّهُمْ بِذَنْبِهِمْ فَسَوَّهَ That when Allah crushed them and destroyed them and leveled the ground with them, meaning He, he sunk them into the ground as a people, when Allah talked about that destruction upon them, where was that? In this dunya. But that's not enough. There's another side to it, which is the akhirah, the next side. And that's being mentioned here. لَا يَصْلَاهَا إِلَّا الْأَشْقَى Then we find, uh, in, in the previous surah, Allah Azza wa mentions, in, at the end, He mentions His punishment against the people. He mentions His punishment. فَدَمْدَمَ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّهُمْ بِذَنْبِهِمْ And this surah, He mentions how He protects the people. وَسَيُجَنَّبُهَا الْأَتْقَى he, he, he wards off, He pulls you aside, away from the, the direction of harm, the most righteous of the people, the most fearful of the people. So Allah's destructive attitude towards one nation is mentioned in the previous, and Allah's protective attitude towards the righteous is mentioned, in contrast in the conclusion of this surah. In the previous surah, Allah mentioned that He doesn't care about the consequences. وَلَا يَخَافُ عُقْبَاهَا this is his attitude against the wretched. And in this surah at the end, he, he explicates, he explains his attitude towards the righteous when he says, وَلَا سَوْفَ يَرْضَى وَلَا سَوْفَ يَرْضَى He'll soon be very pleased. He'll soon be pleased. So on the one hand, his attitude towards the wretched in the previous surah, and here the attitude towards the righteous. وَلَا سَوْفَ يَرْضَى In this surah, subhanAllah. Similarly, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, in the, this is a, 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 just an amazing contrast. When Allah mentioned punishment in the previous surah, He quantified it. And what was the, quant- what was the quantifiable phrase? We repeated it before. فَدَمْدَمَ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّهُمْ بِذَنْبِهِمْ فَسَوَّهَا Their Lord crushed them. And you know, the, the verbs damdama, we discussed that last time. Sawaha, we discussed that. These are the quantifiable punishments. But when it comes to reward, Allah doesn't even put a quantity on it. What does He say? وَمَا لِأَحَدٍ عِنْدَهُ مِنْ نِعْمَةٍ تُجْزَى وَلَا سَوْفَ Soon he'll be pleased. Allah doesn't even say, I will give him this much, then he will be pleased. Allah just says, he'll be pleased. What does that mean? That means you can't even imagine how much you, you will get, but know one thing. It is so much that you'll be pleased. That this person will be pleased. Yarda, he'll be pleased. SubhanAllah. He'll be content. There'll be nothing left in their imagination. I could have gotten more. There's something more I could have acquired. That thought won't occur in their mind because the word Yarda is used. So this contrast between limited punishment and unlimited reward that is being established between these two surahs. Then finally, before this pair of surahs came, this is of course very intricately connected surah, Surah Al-Shams and Surah Al-Layl. Before them we read Surah Al-Balad. And in Surah Al-Balad, if you remember, there was mention of going up a mountain, right? وَهَدَيْنَاهُ النَّجْدَيْنِ فَلَقْتَحَمَا الْعَقَبَةِ and we talked about how the righteous path is very difficult. It's very high and very difficult. But Allah Azza wa Jal seeks to change our attitude about that difficulty. So when He talks about the one doing good deeds, which apparently sounds difficult, what does Allah Azza wa Jal say? فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى We'll facilitate for Him the easiest thing. Meaning Allah calls that high hill, when you take that journey, Allah will Himself would make sure that becomes the easiest thing for you. That there is nothing easier than that. And the one who takes the wrong journey, Allah Azza wa Jal make the, the toughest, the hardest thing easy for him. The hardest thing will become easy for him. And we'll look at a description of those, those words inshaAllah ta'ala when we get to the ayat themselves. 
Then finally, I want to share with you this imagery that Allah establishes of the righteous going, shh, girls, shh. the righteous going, elevating themselves. The righteous elevating themselves. And the, 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 the wretched putting themselves down. The wretched thinks the more wealth he has, the higher he gets in society. That's what he thinks. The more wealth he has, the higher he is in society. And Allah is telling the righteous to spend. أَعْطَى يُؤْتِي مَا لَهُ Right? And in the, even in Surah Al-Badr we found what categories of people to give. Right? فَكُّ رَقَبَةٍ أَوْ إِطْعَامٌ فِي يَوْمٍ ذِي مَسْغَبَةٍ Etc. Etc. So this idea of giving. Now, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the one who gives is actually the one getting high. Because he's going up the hill. And the one who acquires wealth, thinking that he's become high, what words are used for him? Dasaha put in the dust. Taradda, you know, falling into a ditch, falling down into a cliff. He's actually lowering himself, where actually he thinks he is elevating himself. Subhanallah. So there's this contrast being mentioned between the righteous who put themselves down before Allah, because Allah is the most high. إِلَّا بْتِغَاءَ وَجْهِ رَبِّهِ الْأَعْلَى Allah being the most high, they put themselves down, and Allah is elevating them. But the one who put themselves high, Allah is putting them down. So there's this beautiful contrast that is described in between these two surahs. So these were some parallels between the previous surah and this one. Now let's talk a little bit about the layout, the structure of the surah, and how it's organized. By the way, what time is Maghrib today? I haven't been around for a week. 8.35, okay. So the layout of the surah. Of course, the surah begins with a series of aqsam, of oaths, which we've talked about a number of times now. وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى When an oath is taken, you are being asked to reflect upon each item in the oath, and it will prepare you for what is called جَوَابِ الْقَسَمْ The response to the oath, the conclusion, the thesis of the oath. Eventually what is coming. Now what is that thesis? That thesis by the way usually is the center of the entire surah. The entire lesson Allah is teaching in a surah is usually the jawabul qasam. So where he says in this surah, he takes these oaths by the night and the day, the male and the female, and how, they, how remarkably they're created. Then he gives us the thesis, the fundamental lesson of this surah. What is it? Inna sa'iyakum lashatta. Your efforts are truly diverse. Some people are working hard towards righteousness, others working hard towards being wretched and, and, and vile, and in rebellion to Allah. And since this is the thesis of the surah, it should be explained, how do people make these efforts? So the next section of the surah is describing these two paths. So on the one hand you have, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى And on the other hand you have the other kinds of efforts. وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَى وَاسْتَغْنَى وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَى then of course Allah Azza wa Jal after mentioning these two, He mentions His role in all of this. When He says, إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا لَلْهُدَى وَإِنَّ لَنَا لَلْآخِرَةَ وَالْأُولَى Meaning these two people are working in their own directions. But they should know guidance is His possession. It is upon Him to guide. And we'll talk about that in more detail today inshaAllah after the salah. And the other, the other thing that Allah mentions is that He is in complete ownership of both of them. He knows exactly what they're doing and he's in complete control. Because he himself is the true owner, not only of the hereafter, but what's going on here also. You know, the believer who does good things expects rewards in the hereafter. They expand even when they get depressed, what do you tell them? Allah will give you more in the hereafter. And the disbeliever, when he does vicious things, even if you warn him of the hereafter, he says, well, it's not happening now, is it? It's not so bad now, I could do whatever I want now. So they attribute Allah's role both in some way to the hereafter. But Allah Azza wa Jalla lets them know not just al-akhirah wal-ula, right here too. 
Right here, Allah is in control also. Allah knows exactly what you're going through here, what you're up to here. And the consequences will be here as well as over there. إِنَّ لَنَا لَلْآخِرَةِ وَالْأُولَى Then the final part of the surah, the, uh, part four of the surah is basically the warning. And in contrast with the previous surah, though Allah says, you know, فَأَنذَرْتُكُمْ نَارًا تَلَضَّى لَا يَصْلَهَا إِلَّا الْأَشْقَى It's a very interesting kind of warning Allah gives. He says, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, essentially, we're not talking about it in detail right now, I'm warning you of a fire. I'm warning you of a fire. No one will enter it except the worst, the most wretched. Now what kind of language is that? Allah does not say, I'm warning you of the fire and you're the most wretched. He didn't say that. لَا يَصْلَاهَا إِلَّا الْأَشْقَى Third person. He says, I'm warning you, the worst people go in it. Now the, the fact that he didn't call you the worst, but he did say the worst people go in it. It causes you to think, if the worst people go in it, why is he warning me? Why isn't he warning the worst people, right? What you're being told is, you may not have realized how far down you've gotten, figure it out for yourself. Maybe you've become al and you haven't even realized. Maybe you've become the most wretched, you haven't even realized. So I'm warning you, the worst kinds of people end up there. So in parentheses, what we're learning here is, you better not have become one of them. And if you have, you better get your act together. لا يصلاح إلا الأشقى and again in third person, Allah mentions who will be saved from it. Who will be kept completely off, away from the punishment of the fire. It's beautiful language. سَيُجَنَّبُهَا الْأَتْقَى The one, the, you know, the, the most righteous and the most protected even is the meaning, will be kept far off the side of it. You know how somebody pushes you out of way when a danger comes? Like a car's coming and you push to the side to stay safe. Or the mother is crossing the parking lot and the cars are coming. So she keeps her children on the side. This is tajneeb. This is what's called in Arabic, at-tajneeb. To pull someone just far away from danger. Janaba, to pull them away from danger. Or to be on the side. But tajneeb is the hyperbolized in taf'eel. It means to keep them far away, not even close. You're all the way into the curb. You're inside the building, the car goes by, then you go. Right? You're totally, totally safe. Allah talks about these people who are completely and absolutely safe. So on the one hand, the people who are the most wretched, who are going to throw themselves into it. And on the other, who are the people who are going to be completely safe. And this idea of being far off and safe is very powerful. Because when the people of hellfire haven't even entered hellfire, they're just looking at it. They haven't even entered it yet. They're close. They're close. You will see the things they say. فَسَوْفَ يَدْعُوا ثُبُورًا He'll be crying for death. He'll just be crying for death because he's in proximity of hell. Not because he's in hell, because he's in proximity of it. So it is Allah's gift. So He says He'll keep you far away from it. So this tajneeb, that يُجَنَّبُهَا الْأَتْقَى This is an incredible gift of Allah. And then Allah finally concludes with, you know, how is He going to reach this point where He can be saved? الَّذِي يُؤْتِي مَا لَهُ يَتَزَكَّى وَمَا لِأَحَدٍ عِنْدَهُ مِن نِعْمَةٍ تُجْزَى So we learn from the beginning to end, one of the most recurring themes of this surah is wealth. Wealth, wealth, wealth. In the beginning, istighna was for wealth. In the beginning, a'ta was for wealth. a'ta wa In the beginning, we found, وَمَا يُغْنِي عَنْهُ مَالُهُ إِذَا mal came up again. Then at the end, الَّذِي يُؤْتِي مَا لَهُ يَتَزَكَّى Again, Wealth, wealth, wealth. So we're going to learn in this surah, what in the previous surah Allah told us, the one who cleansed it has been successful. And in this surah Allah is going to tell, teach us, subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you want to clean yourself up, it has a lot to do with your attitude towards your wealth. It has a lot to do with how you think about your money, how you think about your house, how you think about the things you own. And if you think about them in a corrupt way, and, there's not, and by the way, before, a disclaimer, there's nothing wrong with owning wealth. There's nothing wrong with owning wealth. 
there is something wrong with having wealth not just enter your pocket, but enter into your heart. That's the problem, right? People can have all the wealth in the world, so long as it's not in their heart. Allah Azza wa you know, when He talks about the, 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 the worst kinds of people, and He doesn't just say they have money, He says they love money. They love, and where's love? It's in the heart. وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٍ Right? So, and, and he loves it so much, he's always counting it. Right? He's always compiling it and counting it. الَّذِي جَمَعَ مَالًا وَعَدَّدًا You're obsessed with something you love. That's what you do. So this, this attitude is what's the center, really the central theme of this surah. And hence we understand the word sa'i in a new light. Sa'i means to make an effort. And we'll talk about that in more detail again, once we go ayah by ayah. But what does sa'i mean? To make an effort. People are making an effort in two directions. Either you want to get wealthy here, or you want to get wealthy over there. Now there is a way you can get wealthy in both. It's hard, but you can do it. It's possible that you can be wealthy here, and you can be wealthy there. But understand that when you concern yourself with worldly assets, in your heart, they become the priority. You're thinking about them more than you're thinking about the assets, your savings up there. Then you have become from al-ashqa. Then you've turned away at tawalla, the one that's being described, right? So this, this powerful lesson is going to be the center of this surah. Now, since we still have another 15 minutes before the salah, we'll begin the ayah by ayah discussion. Of this surah. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan al-rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Wal-layli idha yaqsha. Allah Azza wa Again, He swears by the night. I swear by the night as it covers up. I mentioned before, Allah does not mention what He covers up. Because, and this is part of the style of this surah, objects are not mentioned. In other words, you're expected to fill things in. This is one of the great styles of the Quran. It expects you not to have everything spelled out for you. It doesn't, it fill, you fill in the blanks yourself. What does it cover up? Figure it out. You should know. You've already read the previous surah. Right? So this, this attitude of filling the blanks, and filling in, and Allah forcing you to think about things, this is one of the most beautiful aspects and features of the Qur'an. That we become a people of thought. We're always thinking. Allah forces us to think. He forces us to think. Similarly, we'll see this later on too. When nahari idha, and by the way, as opposed to, as in regards to Yaghsha, when Ash-Shawkani rahimahullah commented on it, he said, يُغْطِي بِظُلْمَتِهِ مَا كَانَ مُضِئًا Meaning he, it covers with its darkness whatever it had light on it before. Also some have commented that the, when Allah mentions night, He is alluding to kufr, to disbelief. And when Allah mentions day, it is an imagery or an allegory or He's alluding to a revelation which comes like light and it brightens up, all, it gets rid of all the darkness. Right? So revelation gets rid of disbelief and misguidance just like light gets rid of darkness. Now, when Nahari Ida Tajalla, Ay Vahara when Kashafa, Wawadaha li Zawal Vulma, Alatikanat Filayl, Dalika Bitulur Shamsa, Shokani says. He says, when the, you know, Allah simply is mentioning the removal of the darkness of the night and how it immediately disappears, in no time it disappears by the manifestation of the day. Now, you know, it takes a long time for night to creep up. But the brilliance of day happens much, much, much faster. It happens very, very quickly. Even a little bit of light, a serious change comes over. But evening, it's, you know, there's asr, and then there's slowly is maghrib, and it's crawling in. And this is almost a parallel of iman and kufr. You know, disbelief, it doesn't happen overnight. Corruption in a society doesn't come overnight. It takes a long time before it's, you know, it, the change comes. But if you look at the change of good that the Prophet ﷺ brought, how long did it take? 
This, the nation was in darkness and shirk for hundreds of years and virtually overnight. 23 years is nothing in the, in the, in the history of a nation. Two decades is nothing, is no time at all. Complete day manifestation, and full manifestation. Complete manifestation. وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى Then Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى Here we have another discussion on the word ma. It's a similar discussion to the one we had in the previous surah when we were studying the words وَالسَّمَاءِ وَمَا بَنَاهَا وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا طَحَاهَا The word ma. The word ma could be understood linguistically, it could be understood as ma al-mawsula, it's called. Ma al-mawsula. And it's also to be understood as ma masdariya. Now what does that mean? Ma al-mawsula means this statement is saying, and, and what it really means is, and I swear by the one, how awesome is the one? What kind of Lord is this? What kind of entity is this that could create the male and the female? So ma, which means literally what? What powerful being must this be? And I swear by that powerful being that he created the male and the female. This is ma. This is when, when you consider this ma al-mawsula. But if you say this is ma mastariya, then the emphasis is not on the creator, but on the creation itself. So the meaning would become how incredibly powerful, how incredibly you know, awe-inspiring the creation of the male and the female. Here again, Allah said male and female. He didn't say, for example, just directly, He didn't say man and woman. Dhakar and untha can be used for pretty much any creature that has male and female gender. So Allah opened up the scope. Just like Yahsha was left open, Tajalla was left open, male and female is left open. So Allah created male and female out of animals, Allah Azza wa created male and female out of human beings, plants, etc, etc. Now the thing is, these pairs that are being mentioned, there's a profound lesson in them that Amin Ahsan Islahi rahimahullah comments on, that's really beautiful. That this, this pairing, we learn Allah Azza wa says, وَمِن كُلِّ شَيْءٍ خَلَقْنَا زَوْجَيْنِ We created every, from everything we created a pair. And you know, if you think about a pair, night in and of itself would be destruction. And Allah mentions, what if I only had night for you? What if the night became sarmadan? Just it lasted, it wouldn't go away. How, what a travesty that would be for you. What if day never went away? How difficult life would be for you? So one necessitates the existence of the other. Male by itself is incomplete, life can't continue. Female by itself, incomplete, it can't continue. And even in our psyche, you, you know, men, they, one of the things that, you know, they, we have tendencies, men have tendencies in them that are very corrupt also. Like we have tendencies towards violence and rage and all of these things. Who calms those tendencies down? Women, our mothers, our sisters, our wives, etc., etc. They calm these tendencies down. Each has even psychological tendencies, psychological weaknesses that the other fulfills. Women have psychological weaknesses that men fulfill. Men have psychological weaknesses that women fulfill. Men have a physical and a, 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 you know, a compatibility with females. Not just a physical, but a psychological one too. Subhanallah. How amazingly complementary they are, just like the night and the day is complementary. But we're learning something very profound. If everything is in pairs, then every, you know, this life in itself must have a pair. There's life over here, and it must be paired. This by itself can't be complete. This must be complete only when it meets its other half. What's its other half? The hereafter. So the hereafter becomes a necessary pair to this worldly life. In this worldly life, you have night and day, you have male and female, and they're reminding you everything is incomplete by, just by itself. It needs a pair to complete it. Well, this life itself, this world itself is, in ha is half. 
is incomplete. And what will complete it is the life of the next world, subhanAllah. So dunya paired with akhirah. Inna sa'yakum lashatta. No doubt your efforts, your efforts, the efforts of all of you. Remember we said in this surah, the person has changed to second person from the previous surah, which was third person. So Allah is talking to the nation directly. Interestingly, in the previous surah, Allah was talking to about Thamud. In distant nation, they, you would talk about them as they, they're gone. But now all of a sudden in the next surah, the warnings and the, the, the description of your state is not in the third person, it's about you. Those lessons, you were being prepared. You were being prepared. You are now ready for this lesson directly. So Allah is turning His attention towards the Quraysh in this surah. Inna sa'yakum lashatta. Some mufassirun have looked at the word kum and have interpreted it in multiple ways. One is that it's addressing the Muslims. That the efforts of the Muslims, there are many, but in the end they complement each other. Most mufassirun however have said that our efforts being diverse, as is said in the ayah, inna sa'yakum lashatta. Sa'i by the way, is to pace really fast. There are many words for running in Arabic. Sa'i means not, it's, it's faster than walking, slower than running, it's pacing. Okay? And you know, we learned this word previously in another surah, you know, thumma adbara yas'a. When we heard thumma adbara yas'a for Fir'aun, we read this word before too. So pacing, meaning concerning yourself and working quickly and, and, and urgently towards something. This is when somebody paces. When do you see somebody pacing at the bus stop? When do you see somebody pacing through the office building? When they have some really important thing they have to do. They're not quite running and they're not quite walking either, but they're moving quickly because there's something concerning them, right? Allah says these concerns you have that you're running towards and pacing towards, they are all over the place. Lashatta. So Allah is describing the contrast of night and day and the contrast of male and female, how these things are contradictory. Just like that, your efforts are contradictory. They're there all over the place. In a religious sense and in a not religious sense also. In the religious sense, we would say, for example, that you know, you have, uh, you know, the Muslims are making efforts for the establishment of deen, for the victory of deen. And the non-Muslims are making efforts in what direction? In the destruction of deen, to harm the deen and its teachings, right? So two are making efforts in opposite, opposing directions. But then in dunya also, Every one of us has a different job, different responsibility. It seems like we're all headed in a different direction. Every one of us is headed in some other direction. Each one of us have our own problems. But the word shatta is really beautiful and remarkable. There are two words in Arabic for diverse or different. In Quran anyway, mukhtalif, mukhtalif, and shatta. Mukhtalif is two very different things. Shatta is something that was once one, and it was shattered, and now it's become dispersed. So what we're learning is, humanity and our efforts were supposed to be what? They were, they were supposed to be one. كَانَ النَّاسُ أُمَّةً وَاحِدًا Humanity altogether used to be one nation. It used to be united. So our efforts are supposed to be one. And the fact that they are diverse, it's still, they come together in the end to become part of a whole. That's what we're learning by use of the word shatta here. Just like night and day come together to be part of a whole, our efforts, even the efforts of the disbelievers against the efforts of the believers, are part of a larger plan. Just like day and night come together, male and field come together, these opposite forces also come together, they're part of a larger plan. This changes the way we look at the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. It changes the way we look at the efforts of those who try to hurt Islam. It's all part of the process. It's part of the process. So in other words, you have the people you know, offending and oppressing the Messenger of Allah ﷺ and those who believe radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. They're oppressing them. That, those are their efforts. And the Sahaba, they're making efforts to spread this deen, to spread its message. 
and they're being patient. Two opposite efforts. But if these efforts don't collide, then the ayat don't come down that command them to have sabr. And the instructions don't come down for them to go and make hijrah. All the events of the life of the Prophet ﷺ are not the result of one direction effort. Like it's not just the effort of the believers. What else is going on? A, conf- a conflicting effort of disbelievers. That's what creates the situation. So it's part of a larger plan. Don't complain about it, understand it's part of the plan, it's part of the test. SubhanAllah, inna sa'yakum lashatta. But then you have to figure out what side of this are you on. And we'll close with this ayah inshaAllah ta'ala. Uh, by the way, shatta, uh, you should know one more thing about it. Shatta is the plural of shatit in Arabic, shatit. Which also means broken and dispersed, is the plural of it. And the antonym, the lid of it, is ta'lif, allafa. Like Allah says, fa'allafa bayna qulubikum. It's to take pieces of something that were broken up and put them perfectly back together and fuse them and make them unbreakable again. Allah uses that word describing the hearts of the believers. Fa'allafa bayna qulubikum. That's the opposite of the word shatta, is ta'lif. Okay? And by the way, this word shatta will come up again in a different form later on in another surah when we're going to read, yawma idin yasturu nasu ashtata. Same word will come up again in a different uh, uh, morphology form, inshaAllah. Another thing about the use of the word shatta, we should probably end on the word shatta and then uh, take a break for the salah, is we said shatta is something that was originally together and then it was broken apart. Look at the oaths that came before. How beautiful the placement of this word. When Allah talks about day, He says, وَآيَةٌ لَهُمُ اللَّيْلِ نَسْلَخُ مِنْهُ النَّهَارِ a miraculous, a special miraculous sign for them is the night. We snatch the day out of it. We pull the day out of it. So Allah is describing day being broken away from night. Just like the word shatta means something that is originally one and it's broken up. Then Allah says, وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنثَى Where did untha come from? Where did our mother Hawa come from? Wasn't she broken away from Adam salam? Right? So the word shatta is really, really articulate and beautiful here. Because it complements the lessons that are coming in the beginning of the surah. وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَخْشَى وَالنَّهَارِ إِذَا تَجَلَّى وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنْثَى SubhanAllah. How Allah Azza wa uses these remarkable, remarkable words. Not just to describe our situation, but our situation, you will find parallels for them in nature. You'll find lessons for life and the struggle of the Muslim in the things that are around you. Allah Azza wa changes the way we think about the world around us. May Allah Azza wa give us an ability to properly reflect on the Quran and the Sunnah of His Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, we'll continue with ayah number five after the break. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik. To download more lectures, learn more about our project, and to help support it, visit www.bayyina.com/dream. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H/dream. You are free to share these recordings with family and friends. Thank you and Jazakumullah Khairan for helping us make our dreams. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فأما من أعطى واتقى We were going ayah by ayah we we're up to the fifth ayah of Surah Al-Layl It begins in a rough translation as for the one who then as for the one who gave and warded evil from himself or protected himself or was you know in common English we say God conscious 
Okay, what taqwa? Had taqwa. Okay. But before we get talk about taqwa, we have to talk about the word a'ta. In the Arabic language, the word ata, ata, like ata yu'ti ita uzzaka, for example, that's used in the meaning of giving. A'ta is akhas, it's more precise than ata. It is to give a lot. Or it's not to give something small, it's to give in much abundance. This is the word used by Allah when He gives His Messenger Al-Kawthar. So He says, Inna a'tayna, not ataynaka, but a'tayna Al-Kawthar. The other thing that's specific about the meaning of a'ta, there are different words for giving in the Arabic language, all used in the Quran, many of them actually. Nahala, hadiya, dafa'a, rafada, wahaba, athaba, diya, ada'a. There are different words that are used for giving. But this particular word means to give something in response to something, first of all. It's not necessarily work compensation. It may be you liked something someone did and you gave them a gift. It was a reaction. But you gave far and beyond that was, which was expected. This is i'ta. So Allah speaks about the one who gave a lot, and gave as a favor, and gave in bonus, even more than was required of him. But the question that arises from the verb is, gave who? And gave what? You see, the precedent for that has already been established in previous surahs. So when the Qur'an establishes a precedent, it doesn't explain itself. It leaves the subject matter open. We started with that today, with the word yaghsha, right? وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا yaghsha. But in the previous surah, وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَاهَا There was a ha there. Because it was explaining it. This surah doesn't need to explain it because the previous surah has already established a precedent. Go two, two surahs before, Surah Al-Balad has already established a precedent on where to give. Right? It's already established a precedent on where you should be spending your money. فَكُّ رَقَبَةٍ أَوْ إِطْعَامٌ فِي يَوْمٍ ذِي مَصْغَبَةٍ يَتِيمًا ذَا مَقْرَبَةٍ أَوْ مِسْكِينًا ذَا مَطْرَبَةٍ All of those categories of giving. So here, it suffice to say he gave a lot. That's all that needs to be said. Then Allah Azza wa Jal moves on and says, وَالتَّقَى وَالتَّقَى Taqwa or ittiqa actually is to save yourself, is to save yourself from, an, from evil or the consequences of evil. If you want to put it in its rawest form, is to save yourself from harm and to save yourself from the consequences of harm. Okay? It's used in the context even of you know, f- protecting yourself from fire. Allah doesn't just talk about taqwa of himself, he says, وَاتَّقُوا النَّارِ الَّتِي أُعِدَّتْ لِلْكَافِرِينَ Fear fire. He talks about fearing the day of judgment. So taqwa is also done of the day. Allah speaks about having fear of bringing harm even to the relations that are established between the wombs or by the wombs of our mothers. So Allah says, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ الْأَرْحَامِ وَاتَّقُوا الْأَرْحَامِ It's by extension, وَاتَّقُوا الْأَرْحَامِ there. So be cautious of, beware of. Beware of al-arham, the, the relationship of the wombs of the mothers, or, or all relationship established through that connection. Anyhow, in this ayah, to, first and foremost, the, the, the fundamental attitude in taqwa is not fear alone. It is to do something or take an action out of fear of falling into some kind of trouble. Fear is khawf, that's just a feeling. Like you know, you, you hear a, a loud sound, you feel khawf. You hear a loud sound and you take cover, now you're doing taqwa. Meaning you took an action based on a fear. Right, this is taqwa. It comes from wiqaya, which literally means to protect yourself. To protect yourself, or protect someone else. So Allah says, so from the same root, He says, قُوْ أَنفُسَكُمْ وَأَهْلِيكُمْ نَارًا Protect yourselves and your families. So this, this the word ittiqa from iftial, from that pattern means to actually take precaution to protect yourself. 
So the question is, he gave and then he had fear. He wanted to protect himself. Now the one who gives usually, it's interesting statement because the one who usually gives, they feel very good about giving. They're not afraid anymore. They used to be, man, I, did, I think I secured my place in Jannah. I, did, I mean, I gave a big check at this fundraiser. I gave a lot. I have nothing more to fear. Right? But the attitude of this person is he gave, and after he gave, he was afraid. He became, he became wary. He became this cautious, careful. The other thing also that's, that's really interesting in the, in the psyche of the person who gives, if he gives for the wrong reason or she gives for the wrong reason, this happens in deviant religions, and in some cases it happens among Muslims. And they do the, bring this deviation to Islam. What is this what I'm talking about? People give a lot of charity to compensate for their bad deeds. Right? So they'll give a lot of money to build a masjid, but they don't want to give up the liquor store either. Right? Or they, they're in, involved in something grossly, grossly, grossly haram, and they feel bad about it, so they'll pay a lot to an orphanage. Or they'll give a lot of sadaqah to like the earthquake relief or something like that. So they're giving but they don't fear. Allah wants you to give but Allah also wants you to have taqwa. فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَالتَّقَى You have to have both. And you know, sometimes there's a person who has taqwa, but what does he not do? He doesn't give. He doesn't give. Now this sequence, Islahi rahmahullah commented very beautifully. He said this is not the only place we find this sequence of first giving then feeling afraid. This also occurs in Surah Al-Dahab, Surah Al-Insan. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, "Innama nutaimukum li wajhillah, la nuridu minkum jazaan, wala shukura. Inna nakhafu min Rabbina yawman abusan qantarira." We're giving you, we're feeding you, only to seek the face of Allah over there. There, the the phrase was, "Innama nutaimukum li wajhillah." We're feeding you to seek Allah's face. We don't want to see a smile on your face. That's not why we're doing it. We want to see Allah pleased with us. That's what it is. Wajhullah. In this surah we'll find again Wajhullah. إِلَّا بْتِغَاءَ وَجْهِ رَبِّهِ الْأَعْلَى The same phrase will come up again. But in that, in Surah Al-Insan, when we give, when we give seeking Allah's face, meaning His contentment, His pleasure, by the way, this wajh, which means face, it's a beautiful expression in the Arabic language. The brothers of Yusuf salam also use this expression. Okay? لَهُ وَجْهُ أَبِيكُمْ You know, the, your, your father's face will turn to you now. When they would get rid of Yusuf, when get, get him out of the way, they said, your father's face will now turn to you. What does that mean? Your father will look upon you with love and affection. Your father will have this, this uh, you know, loving look towards you. Meaning he'll bring his attention to you. His mercy will shower upon you. And that's the kind of attention that this, one, this person wants from Allah Azza wa They want, you know, when an important person comes and meets you. When an important person comes and shakes your hand, or you know, a famous person, or a celebrity of sorts, or an authority, they say, man, you know who talked to me today? You know how I talked to on the phone today? You know who came over to my office, the CEO of this company or that company? A big person gave you attention. Whose attention does this person want? He wants the attention of Allah Azza wa Jalla. That's where we find seeking the face of Allah towards the end of the surah, right? But then they're, they're afraid, just like they're, إِنَّا نَخَافُ مِنْ رَبِّنَا يَوْمًا عَبُوسًا قَمْطَرِيرًا It is we who fear, no doubt about it, we fear from our Lord a day. A horrifying, a saddening, an overly depressing day. عَبُوسًا عَبُوسًا Very strong word used in that surah. Anyhow, coming back to this one. الشوكاني رحمه الله writes, أي بذل, meaning this ayah means, بَذَلَ مَا لَهُ فِي وُجُوهِ الْخَيْرِ he, he just gave up his money, just kept exhausting his wealth, in all faces of good, meaning all kinds of good. 
He could just he found he was looking for things to give good you know good, give his wealth to. It was like you know someone who really wants to make it big in this dunya, and they say, man, I got some money, I don't know how to use it. So they go to their business buddies. Got any good business ideas? Where should I be putting my money right now? The market's kind of bad. Where should I invest? Right. So there's this idea of putting your money in a good place or finding you know what's what's called diversifying your portfolio. Right. That's called diversifying your portfolio. So you don't put all your money in one. You know, investment. You put a little here, put a little here, put a little here. What is this person doing? Ashokani rahimahullah comments, Fi khair. All kinds of faces of good things. He's like, maybe I should put a little here, a little here, a little here, a little here. So I have this diversified portfolio when I go to Allah Azza wa It's incredible this mindset that if you direct it towards Allah, it brings a yield, and people direct it towards dunya to bring a yield for themselves in this dunya. Anyhow. Asan al-Ra'i also offers some, a really remarkable insight on the ayah. He says, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى تَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ اتَّقَى الْبُخْلُ He says he gave and he was afraid. It illustrates he was afraid of being cheap. That's why he gave. He gave and he, as he was afraid, meaning while becomes haliyah. He gave as he was afraid, meaning he was afraid of becoming those who are cheap, who hold on. My teacher used to give this example about our relationship with Allah. When we give, is it really our money we're giving? Is it really ours? No. But we know, think, do, I don't know if I've told you this experiment with your kids before, try it, it's a lot of fun. You get a lollipop, you get a candy, something nice, right? And you're about to eat it, and your child sees it. What does your child say? Can I have it? Can I have it? Dad, can I please have it? Just a little. And you say, okay, okay. You can hold it. You can, okay, you can have it, just a little piece. You give it to them, just to hold, and then you ask for it back. Can I have it back? What do they say? <laughs> Mine. All of us, within seconds it becomes yours. Allah asks us for money, Allah asks us, Qardan Hasana, give me a loan, beautiful loan. He, gives, he says, let me tell you a business transaction, tijaratin. He gives us all these terminologies, why? Because we start believing what? It's ours, it's ours. It's not his, it's ours. SubhanAllah. We start thinking, we're the owners. That's what happens with money. Money is the, the man is the essential thing that makes you start thinking, you're in charge. And who have you replaced psychologically? Maybe in your aqidah you still say, La ilaha illallah. Maybe in your salah you still say, Allahu Akbar. But what is your heart testifying to every time you look at the account balance? What's your heart testifying to? Where is your heart going? It's already testified that I own this wealth. This is mine. This belongs to me. Right? This is the attitude that Allah is striking at the heart. He gave and he was afraid. Afraid he might start thinking this belongs to him. So he gave lots of it. He gave lots of it. The other thing also that's really interesting is, you put a lot of money in a sure deal. You put a little bit of money when you're not so sure if it's gonna, you know, maybe it's a good investment, I'm not so sure. So I'm not gonna put all my savings in it, I'll put a little bit. But if it's a guaranteed investment, what do you do? Like guaranteed, guaranteed. You put it in. You say, man, this is the way to go. It's a sure shot. It's good real estate. It's coming up. The area is coming up. I'm going to buy in this, pro land, this property, this, this area. I'm going to invest in this thing or that thing. Why? Because it's a sure deal. So the amount we give increases when what, what we start believing? That it's a sure deal. And the more you like, mm, there are other better places this could be spent, the less you give. Right? And so this person fears, before my other instinct kicks in and I say, no, 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 maybe I shouldn't give this much, before he even gets to that, 
point, he just gives أعطى وتقى. This is his attitude. And so Allah Azza wa Jal, when he, when he speaks about this, actually another couple of things we should talk about here is the sequence. Usually, أعطى is giving a lot. It's not even giving a little. أعطى, I said, is a hyperbolized form of the verbs. So this guy is giving a lot. But you would think taqwa comes first, and then you do ihsan, you give a lot. Right? So it seems like taqwa comes first, and then you give a lot. But what does the ayah say? It mentions the giving a lot first, and taqwa second. It mentions taqwa second. And this is part of the style of this entire surah. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the conclusion first, and then the root second. And we'll find this throughout this surah. It's beautiful. Even, what's the conclusion? This dunya or the akhirah? The akhirah. He says, and so which should be mentioned first? Dunya first, akhirah second. When we come to that ayah, what does he say? وَإِنَّ لَنَا لَلْآخِرَةَ وَالْأُولَى He mentions first, the, the hereafter, then he mentions the first. So this is part of the beautiful, remarkable style of this surah. You want to reach that point? What's the seed? You want to see the tree? Think about the root. The root is taqwa. And then finally, even the taqwa has a root. Even taqwa has another root. What's even before taqwa? What's the next part? وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَةَ وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَةَ And he confirmed. He confirmed the truth in the ultimate good. Al-husna is af'alu tafdil in Arabic. You know, he said akbar, abiyad, or you know, afdal. The feminine version of that is kubra, sughra, yumna. Here, husna. Husna is the feminine equivalent of akbar. In English, we call these comparative of, or superlative adjectives. It's an adjective. So Allah says, He confirmed the truth in the best possible thing. And I'm not even saying thing, actually, the best possible. And in English, it leaves best possible what? Best possible what? Allah gave the adjective, but not a precise term. Allah didn't say He confirmed the truth in Jannah, He confirmed the truth in La ilaha illallah, He confirmed the truth in the hereafter, He confirmed the truth in the beauty of Sharia, He confirmed the truth in obeying Allah, in following the Messenger ﷺ. He did all of those things. And since there are so many things He confirmed, the best thing to do is to summarize all of them in the most comprehensive term, Al-Husna. So you find among our Salaf, they say things like when they interpret Al-Husna, they'll say, Al-Husna hiya la ilaha illallah. Al-Husna hiya al-Jannah. The ultimate thing is Jannah. The ultimate thing is the kalima, la ilaha illallah. Ita'atul Rasul, the following of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Giving to the poor. They start listing all these good deeds. But Allah did not list them. Why? Because He's implying what? All of them. And remember I said in the beginning of this surah, Allah wants you to think. He'll leave the, the, the scope of thought open for you. Covers, covers what? Gave, gave who? Gave what? Right? Similarly, confirm the good. What good? What ultimate good? What best did He confirm? Now think of all the things that Allah wants you to think are the best. And here's the thing. This is a very important point that Allah is teaching us here. Very important point. You have a person who thinks something is good, but doesn't do it anyway. You tell him, don't you think praying is good? Yeah. Why don't you pray? I don't know man. I know it's good, I, I know I should do it, I just don't do it. They know it's good, they say it's good too. They don't even say it's bad, they say it's good, but they just don't do it. Tasdeeq is to say it's good, to confirm the truth in it, and then to act upon it also. To do that also. This is real tasdeeq. You know if you say fire burns, I know it burns, and then you touch it anyway. That means either two things. Either you, you were lying, you didn't think it burns, or you're not very smart. But you're insane. It's, it's a sign of insanity, isn't it? That you say it burns and you still touch it. You still touch it. And I say, so the, what's the same thing? 
To confirm the truth in something is to now, it leads you to action directly after. But the, the fundamental uh, you know, theme of this surah was action. Inna sa'yakum lashata. The word sa'i is effort. Effort. Now understand the benefit of this sequence in one more way. First thing was giving. Second thing was taqwa. Third thing was confirming the ultimate good. A'ta wa taqa wa saddaqa bil husna. Three things, right? These are actually, it seems like they're in reverse order. Because first you confirm the truth, first you come to la ilaha illallah, then you develop taqwa, and then you give. But they're mentioned in exact reverse order. Which of the, confirming the truth is in your heart. Isn't that the case? Taqwa, part of taqwa is in your heart, part of taqwa is in your actions. A'ta, giving, giving is where? Action. So one of these words is in your heart, one of these words is part action, part in the heart, the other word is purely action. What was the central theme of the surah? Action. Sa'yukum. So what word is placed closest to sa'yukum? A'ta. The, the verb among a'ta, ittaqa, and saddaqa, that is closest to action is put first. This is part of the balagha and the eloquence of the Qur'an. The word that is most consistent in proximity. And then from there, the, the, the least consistent with this word, the farthest from this word, is the, the farthest from the word sa'i. Right? So this is part of the eloquence and subtlety of the, the, even the sequence within these words. Another comment we find from uh, Shaykh Fadl Salih Hassan al-Ra'i, he said something interesting about the nature of the individual versus the nature of society. For an individual, for an individual, the sequence is he confirms the truth, then he has taqwa, fear of consequence, and then finally he becomes giving. This is when thinking about an individual. But when you think about a society, to, you know, human beings, they always think about themselves. But if, they, if we want to live as a civilization, you know one of the first things you have to give up? You can't have everything for yourself. You have to contribute back to society in every which way. To be part of a society, you have to give. You can't be part of a society without giving. So giving comes first on a societal scale. And then after giving, that's obviously one of the... And we're not even talking about Islamic society. Any society, if you want to be part of a civilization, you have to give. The second thing you have to do is you have to abide by the law. When you come in a society, you have to give and you have to abide by the law. You have to be afraid of the consequences of breaking the law. What is that? Taqwa. And finally, the ideal society will be the one in which the citizens give, they abide by the law, but they take that final step and make it the ideal society, they confirm the truth. Which is what? Islam. The ultimate truth. So the final evolution of a society is wasaddaqa. So the progression of an individual is one way, and the progression of society is in reverse. It's an interesting comment made by Dr. Fadl Salih al-Samarai in regards to this ayah. Now, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى We'll read something that Shawkani rahimahullah wrote in, uh, in his remarkable tafsir, Fathul Al-Qadir. أَعْطَى حَقَّ اللَّهَ الَّذِي عَلَيْهِ When he says, he confirmed the truth, he, he interprets that to mean he gave the right of Allah that he recognized was binding upon him. Meaning he realized what he gives isn't his, it's Allah's right over him. Allah demands, he, he gives you wealth and says, then, spread, then, uh, then spend. Hassan radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, أَعْطَى الصِّدْقِ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ He gave or he confirmed the truth, that, مِنْ قَلْبِهِ rather, that was deep in his heart. وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى أَيْ بِلَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And he confirmed the ultimate good, which is to confirm, لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَبِهِ قَالَ الضَّحَاقِ Sarmi also said the same thing. And Mujahid says, بِالْحُسْنَى As I mentioned before, the ultimate good refers to الْجَنَّةِ وَقَالَ زَيْدِ بْنُ أَسْلَمْ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالزَّكَاةِ وَالصَّوْمِ 
And others said, Zayd bin Aslam said, this ultimate good is what? He confirmed the value and good in salah and in zakah and in salah, meaning obedience to Allah. Meaning obedience to Allah. But the first, according to Ash-Shawkani, meaning the first, the right of Allah binding upon him, that is the first. Because when you think about that, then all of these things come under it. Right? All of these things, meaning the salah, the zakah, la ilaha illallah, all of those things fall under the right of Allah upon us. So that's how he interprets, وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى If he does this, now the words began, أَمَّا فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى أَمَّا As for the one who, this is called حرف الشرط, كلمة الشرط, conditional statement. As for the one who does this, dot 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 dot, then this will happen for him, right? So now the then part is coming, fa. Then, if he fulfills these conditions, then what's gonna happen? فَسَنُ يَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى then we will make ease for him. We will facilitate for him. Who's we? It is Allah Azza wa speaking. He says, we will make ease for him. In other words, until he makes easy, it's not easy. Until he makes easy, it stays difficult. But for the person who makes this commitment, number one, Allah makes it, makes an ease for him. But he doesn't even stop there. He says, لِلْيُسْرَى Yusra is the feminine equivalent of Aysar. Aysar means the easiest the easiest. So Allah says, I will make the easiest easy for him. Actually he says, I will make the easiest really easy for him. Now the way you're thinking about good deeds now, according to Allah Azza wa Allah's gift to this person is, He finds doing good things what? Easy. And He finds them the easiest thing to do. Meaning doing bad things He finds hard. And the easiest, the most natural thing that comes to Him is doing good things. Can you imagine what a gift is from Allah? Most of us, when we do good things, it's hard. <laughs> when we do bad things, it's what? It's easy. That's easy. Good things are hard. But this attitude, أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى Guess what gift you get in this dunya? Allah will make the easiest thing easy upon you. Meaning, your attitude about it will change, and it will be the easiest thing facilitated for you, subhanAllah. Now what is this, and by the way in Arabic, for ease in the Qur'an, two words are used, yaseer and hayyin. Like, huwa alayya hayyin. Yaseer means a task that is done without any difficulty. Hayyin means a task that you are given that is way beneath your skill set. Like if you give a calculus professor or a math problem that says, what's one plus one? That would be hayyin for him. It's like an insult. Come on, give me something serious. Right? That's hayyin. Way too easy for him. But yaseer means a task which may be up to your skill, but you can perform it without falling into any difficulty. Even though it's at your level or at your capacity, it's still, you, you, you can follow it without any difficulty. The tafsir of this we find in the promise of Allah to us in Surah Al-Hajj. When He says, وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ We did not put for you at all in this religion, any difficulty, constriction whatsoever. We didn't put any difficulty in it whatsoever. For some people, prayer is very hard. Prayer is very hard. Can't wake up, gotta finish quickly. As soon as they get into it, they start hyperventilating, like I gotta get this over with. You know? For some people, prayer is hard. For the Prophet ﷺ, everything was hard except what? Prayer. His biggest desire is what? The coolness of my eyes, my relaxation, my comfort, my escape was placed where? In the salah. This is فَسَنُّ يَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى Now, Allah promised His Messenger yusra. We find this ayah also لِلْيُسْرَى I will make the easiest thing easy for you 
Allah is giving us the same option. But there's a difference. There Allah said, وَنُيَسِّرُكَ Here He says, فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ There's a scene extra here. When Allah promised His Messenger, He said, I will make easy for you. Okay? But here He says, soon I will make easy for him. Soon. For His Messenger, He did not say soon. But for us, for any other person aspiring to reach this ease, He says soon. Why? The Messenger wasallam is, is content. And his heart is already in this direction. And he's not, at, he's not at unrest with his Lord. So when you say soon, why do you say soon to someone? To help them calm down, right? Because they're not at rest. <laughs> they're, they're perturbed. Hey, he's, it's coming soon, it's coming soon. Right? It's a way of easing you. So it's showing that the, the nature of the relationship between Allah and His Messenger وسلم, is very tranquil. And we, we're not that tranquil. So we want to rush to it. So Allah gives us more consolation when He says, سَنُيَسِّرُهُ He will give, He will make ease for him. لِلْيُسْرَ The Arabs used to talk about the horse. You know, the horse is hard to ride without a saddle and the seat and the reins. When you hook up the horse totally, when it's like comfortable to ride, they would say, يَسَّرَ الْفَرَسِ Now it's easy to ride. That's how the word yassara was originally used. So what Allah is saying is, I will make all the arrangements for you to do the good deed. The horse will be totally prepared. All you got to do is just sit there and move the rope a little. That's all you got to do. All the arrangements for you to perform well and to do the things that will elevate your status with Allah will be made easy for you. All the doors will be opened. All the doors will be opened. يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِ يُسْرًا Whoever has taqwa of Allah, Allah will make in any, every one of His decisions, He'll make some ease for him. وَيَرْزُقُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبْ He'll provide him from where you couldn't even imagine. He'll start opening doors you didn't think even existed. All, you get this attitude, you start seeing how Allah starts making things easy for you. Similarly, we find in the hadith narrated in Al-Bukhari, the Messenger says, sallallahu alayhi wa I'malu, get to work. I'malu, get to work. Work, do things, do good things. Why does he say that? Because everyone has been made comfortable with. Everyone has been predisposed. And certain things have been you know, made easy for, him, for them, the things for which they have been created. And also, from a human nature point of view, the thing you do a lot gets easy for you. You go to work every day, somebody asks you, how do you do it, man? You've been doing it for 10 years, right? You say, I just, it's just, no big deal, it's just work. Just do it. When you've been going to work for two days, you used to wake up at 11.30, go to sleep at like 2 in the morning, and then all of a sudden you got a job, you got to get up at 5, get there by 7, right? In the first week, is it hard? It is. After 10 years, does it get easy? It does, doesn't it? It's a matter of conditioning yourself. And also the person who thinks it's very hard. This is a very important point. The person who thinks it's very, very hard. You know what happens to them? They end up failing and losing their job. When they're always saying, man, it's so hard to get to work on time. It's so hard to get to work on time. I can't do this, it's too early. When they keep telling themselves that, guess what? Do they get to work early? No. It's called efficacy in psychology. Allah says about this person, ease comes, but what does he have to do? He has to accept the fact that he has to do this. He has to accept that fact. He can't complain about it anymore. Where, where are the words that he accepts the fact? وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَ He confirmed the truth in the ultimate good, then we made ease. So you have to accept reality. Once you accept it, I have to be there at work. Now I have to take actions accordingly. Then it'll happen. When you begin with a defeatist attitude, man, this is hard. It's never going to become easy. When you come at it with the strong attitude, 
Allah will make easy. It will feel easy to you, and Allah on top of that will make it easy for you. Subhanallah. So it's an, it's an incredible lesson we're learning about our change in attitude and obedience to Allah Azza wa We find many, many places in Qur'an where Allah mentions making ease. For example, one more place I should mention before we go on. يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُخَفِّفَ عَنْكُمْ وَخُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضعيفا. Allah intends to make life light upon you. When Allah gives you instructions, they're not there to make things hard for you. The point of them is to make things easier, to lighten your burden. But you're created weak. You think you can make ease for yourself. Uh, last, actually a hadith I should have mentioned. I've mentioned this hadith before. بُعِثْتُ بِالْحَنِفِيَةِ السَّمْحَةِ السَّهْلَةِ I was appointed with the religion of Ibrahim al-Hanifiyyah, which is easy. The easy religion. The easy way to follow. Subhanallah. وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَ وَاسْتَغْنَى And by the way, when amma is mentioned in Arabic, then you're expecting another amma. As for this one, now what are you expecting in English? And as for that one, right? So this is the, the that one. So the one who confirmed the truth, what's this one? مَنْ بَخِلَ مَنْ بَخِلَ The one who was cheap. What was the previous one? He gave. And this one was cheap. He withheld for himself. بَخِلَ الَّذِينَ يَبْخَلُونَ وَيَأْمُرُونَ النَّاسِ بِالْبُخْلِ They're cheap themselves, they tell other people to be cheap too. You're not gonna spend when somebody else tries to spend for the path of Allah. Say, what are you doing man? You need the savings. These are bad times. Not only are you cheap, you're telling other people to be cheap. This is also explained in Surah Ali Imran. But here Allah says, مَنْ بَخِلَ Who became cheap, وَاسْتَغْنَى Look at this. He became cheap in giving others, but when you don't give, where are you keeping the wealth? For yourself. And once you keep wealth for yourself, you know what you start feeling? I don't need anybody. I can handle it. Right? Why does he not give wealth? Because he thinks he needs it for himself. Now when he keeps it for himself, he feels superior. وَاسْتَغْنَى He feels reckless. استِغْنَى to feel not in need of anyone. I don't need anybody. I can do everything myself. I can do everything myself. Where did this attitude develop? What was the source problem? Being cheap with wealth. Hoarding wealth among, within yourself. And this is istighna. Allah Azza wa says, in another surah He says, وَاسْتَغْنَ Allah. Allah, they had the attitude that they don't need anyone, then Allah developed that attitude towards them. That Allah doesn't need them. وَاللَّهُ غَنِيٌّ حَمِيدٌ And Allah is truly the one who has no need. He's ghani. Everybody else can have the attitude, but they really do need. They are in need, subhanAllah. So, أَيْ بَخِلَ بِمَالِهِ فَلَمْ يَبْذُلْهُ فِي سُبُلِ الْخَيْرِ The Shawkani comments that he was, he was cheap with his wealth, he didn't spend it in any of the pathways of good, implying that there were so many opportunities to spend in good, he didn't take advantage of any of them. زَهَدَ فِي الْأَجْرِ وَالثَّوَابِ He was very reluctant and holding back when it came to earning rewards in the hereafter. وَاسْتَغْنَى بِشَهَوَاتِ الدُّنْيَا عَنْ نَعِيمِ الْآخِرَةِ استِغْنَى means to be free of need. The attitude became, I don't need the hereafter, I just need things here. That became his attitude. That's what he explains istighna as. And as a result, وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى And he ended up lying against the ultimate good. The very things that the one who gives confirms the truth in, this guy says they're not good at all. You'll find the person, this actually is happening in the Muslim world, may Allah protect us from it. Some Muslims are getting wealthy, and as they're getting wealthier, they're getting farther from the religion. Not only are they getting farther from the religion, now they're attacking the religion verbally. They're, attack, they're saying, what's the good in this? What's the good in that? Why do Muslims do this, that? We should enlighten the religion. The poor Muslims aren't doing it. Guess what kinds of Muslims are doing it? First they get wealth, they don't give, and then they start you know, lying against the ultimate good. وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى Where did it come from? First cheapness themselves. Then gaining a lot of wealth. And then getting the courage, I don't need the religion, the religion needs me. 
You know, I can mold it to my, my liking. I'm the customer. I've got the money after all. So they start making these kinds of comments. May Allah protect us from this disease. فَسَنُ يَسِّرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ We will make the hardest thing easy for him. This is such a profound reality Allah has depicted in this ayah. It's scary. It's a scary thing to think about. Al-Usra, some people have, Mufassirun have commented, Al-Jahannam. Jahannam. We will make the path to hellfire easy for him. Also, Usra means evil deeds. Ash-Shar. Some have commented, like Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, Ash-Shar. Meaning, we will make evil deeds easy for him. But Usra in its literal form means the hardest possible thing. The most difficult thing. In other words, this person, after he develops this attitude, the curse of Allah upon him is, he does things or she does things that land, him, that, that land them in the worst difficulty and they can't even help themselves. You will find these kinds of people who will live carefree, not concerning themselves about religion and spending their money wherever they want and those same monies they spend, for example, on their children, their children become the cause of their heart, heart attacks and their blood pressure, their children become the cause of their, their, you know, their, their psychological problems. The very things they invested in. They bought houses and properties and wealth and this and that. And in their old age, they lose sleep over going through the finances. They can't get any sleep. The messenger was told about the munafiqoon. He was told, فَلَا تُعْجِبْكَ أَمْوَالُهُمْ وَلَا أَوْلَادُهُمْ إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ بِهَا such a scary ayah. Don't be impressed with their money. Don't be impressed with their children. Allah only wants to torture them with those. Allah wants to torture them with their money. Allah wants to torture them with their children. SubhanAllah. How could that happen? How, the, the thing they, found, they were looking for ease in those things. What did Allah create in those things? He facilitated the harshest thing for them in those things. May Allah protect us from that. Right? So, فَسَنْ يَسِرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَ So, by the way, الشَّرْ الَّذِي يُؤَدِّي إِلَىٰ عَذَابِ اللَّهِ Right, the evil that leads to the punishment of Allah and it becomes easy for him, doesn't even think twice about it. And it's actually thoughtless for a lot of these people. You say, why do you do it? They'll say, I don't know. I just do. Can't help myself. That's proof of فَسَنُ يَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَ وَمَا يُغْنِي عَنْهُ مَالُهُ إِذَا تَرَدَّى And then again wealth came up. And what good is his, his wealth is not going to make him free of need when he falls in a ditch. Taradda, rada to, to slam someone down from a cliff or to throw someone in a ditch. Taradda, to fall yourself off a cliff or to fall yourself in a ditch. Which ditch is this? The grave. Which ditch is this? The hellfire. Which this is, ditch is this? The indignation of evil deeds. These are the ditches, right? The ditches of evil deeds, the, ditch of, the literal ditch of the grave, the literal ditch of the hellfire. When is the wealth going to help him then? وَمَا يُغْنِي عَنْهُ مَالُهُ His wealth is not going to be able to help him. Subhanallah, when he falls into this ditch, إِذَا تَرَدَّى So we said, the one who Allah elevates is the one who gives up his wealth. Lowers himself before his Supreme Lord. And the one who wants to elevate himself, Allah throws him in a ditch. And says, how's your money going to get you out now? How are you going to get high now? Why do people hold on to money? Status. Istighna. We just read. Right? Istighna. They want to be feel free of need. They want to feel above. They want to show this status. But Allah Azza wa says, how are you going to show that status when you fall into that ditch? Then he says something beautiful, inna alayna lalhuda. You know, you can have all the wealth in the world. There is one wealth you cannot have. You don't own it. You will never own it as guidance. Allah says, it is only upon us truly to give guidance. It's only ours. You, however wealthy you get, how poor you are, it's not yours. It is only alayna muqaddam, jarwa majrur muqaddam. It's only upon us to give guidance. Guidance will not come to you from anywhere else. It's been interpreted in two ways. 
In one, Al-Farra, Rahmahullah, he says, Man salak al-huda fa'ala Allahi sabiluh liqawlihi wa'ala Allahi qasdu al-sabil. Allah, he says, by saying it is upon us, the guide, the ultimate guidance, another way to translate it is, real guidance is only that which leads you to us. True guidance, all true guidance, in the end can only be the one that leads you to us. And the second meaning, it is only upon Allah to guide. What does it mean upon Allah to guide? First of all, did He guide the human being even before the revelation came? Did He give him a sense of what's right and what's wrong? فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا Did He pre-program him? And then on top of that, did He give him al-husna also on top of that revelation? Did He guide him on top of that too? Didn't He say, this guidance can only come from Allah. This pre-programmed guidance inside of you, and this revealed guidance from above can only come from Allah. And on top of that, Real, if you're seeking guidance, the end of it will not be wealth. The end of it will not be fame. The end of it can only be who? Allah. That's real guidance. That's, that's a goal. Qasdu sabil In another place Allah says, it is only upon Allah that the goal of the path leads. The goal of the path, the, the end of the journey is what? Allah Azza wa That's the eventual uh, conclusion of the journey. So as Aslam al-Ra'i comments, هذا التعبير إن علينا للهدى يحتمل معنيين الأول علينا أن نبين طريق الهدى I'll go piece by piece. This he says it carries two meanings. The first meaning to be that it is only upon us that we clarify the path of guidance. بمعنى أن الله تعالى يتكفل ببيان طريق الهدى That it is Allah who is enough in and of himself to clarify and articulate the path of guidance. والثاني أن الهدى يوصل صاحبه إلى الله that, and the second meaning is that guidance can, it, guidance in and of itself will lead the one who is journeying in it only to Allah. They will lead themselves only to Allah. May Allah make us all from them. وَإِنَّا لَنَا لَلْآخِرَةَ وَالْأُولَىٰ And it is only upon, only we ourselves own the hereafter, الْآخِرَةَ وَالْأُولَىٰ in the early days. By the way, what time is Aisha? You guys know? 10? Oh, we got time. Alhamdulillah. I was nervous. I just came from out of town where Aisha was 9.30, so all, my clock is still messed up. Anyway, now look at this amazing, amazing ayah. Let's first read uh, a little bit from tafsir. لَنَا كُلُّ مَا فِي الْآخِرَةِ When he says, we, it is we who own the hereafter, the final, and the earliest. Ula. Ula. He, uh, he explains, we own everything that will happen in the hereafter, and وَكُلُّ مَا فِي الدُّنْيَا And everything that is in this world نتصرف به كيف نشاء we mold it and change situations around however we want you know when people see changing situations they say where's God how come Allah didn't let this happen how come Allah didn't let that happen etc 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 he's explaining when he takes full ownership of it whether you understand it or not it's still under his full ownership he's still completely in control فمن أرادهما أو إحداهما فليطلب ذلك منا then whoever wants one of them, meaning they only want dunya, or they only want akhirah, they can ask. And the one who asks, wants both of them, they can ask too. He'll give both. So what do we ask? What did Allah teach us to ask? Only akhirah, only dunya? He taught us to ask both. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنًا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنًا He taught us to ask for both. Right? He owns both, so ask good in both. Ask good in both. This is unlike, you know, the rahbaniyyah of some of the Christian groups, which only asked for the akhirah and started hating on the dunya. And they lived life in you know, the monasteries and celibacy and all of this stuff. And Allah says they weren't even true to their own nature. They weren't even able to keep up with the false standards that they set upon themselves. And we see that in the news all the time anyway. 
So, lana thawabul akhirah wa thawabud dunya. Not only do we own the reward of dunya, we also own the reward of the hereafter. Now this ownership, just a few things about it that's, that's really, really uh, subtle and beautiful in this uh, surah. Previously I said, the latter is mentioned first, didn't I? Here again, akhirah first, ula second. Consistent with the style of the surah. The second thing is surah al-qasas. Listen to this carefully. Allah says, فَلَهُ الْحَمْدُ فِي الْأُولَى وَالْآخِرَةِ Hamd belongs only to Allah. Praise and gratitude belong only to Allah in the beginning, in the earliest, and in the last. Here he said what first? إِنَّ لَنَا لَلْآخِرَةَ وَالْأُولَى In surah al-qasas he says, أُولَى وَالْآخِرَةِ So how come there أُولَى وَالْآخِرَةِ here? Al-Akhirah wal-Ula. There the passage was about the favors of Allah. Where do we appreciate the favors of Allah? Here. So what did he mention first? Al-Ula. What's this passage about? Not getting lost in dunya, worrying more about what? Akhirah. So what takes precedence in this passage? Akhirah. Subhanallah. Look at another instance. We find in Surah Al-Najm, فَلِلَّهِ الْآخِرَةِ وَالْأُولَى Here he says only Allah owns the hereafter and the earliest. Right? The last and the earliest. Which is the same sequence as this. But in this one he says, إِنَّ لَنَا لَلْآخِرَةَ وَالْأُولَى There's an extra lamb. There's an extra lamb. When Allah says the last and the first belong only to Him. No doubt they belong only to Him. In this surah he says, no doubt they truly only belong to Him. He emphasized it even more. So what is the need to emphasize لَلْآخِرَةَ وَالْأُولَى In this surah. The lana by the way means ownership. We have we, milkiya ownership. Has this surah been talking about ownership? Wealth. And the false sense of somebody who thinks they should own, they own actually. But they don't really own. So what are the words that have been used in this surah that talk about ownership? A'ta, he gave. Of course you give what you own. He says, bakhila, cheap. Cheap with what? What you own. Istaghna, free of, feels free of need. Free of need because of what? What he owns. Similarly, yughni anhu maluhu. It will not. His wealth will not benefit him. Wealth that he owns. Yuti malahu yatazakka is coming. He'll give his wealth. Wealth, wealth, ownership, ownership, ownership. But you should you should never forget. Real ownership only belongs to Allah. Inna lana. It is only to us truly that ownership belongs in the hereafter and also here in this world. Accepting this will make all your spending for Allah. Guess what? Easy. It'll be, make spending easy. When you feel like you have to spend because it's yours, it's hard. When you give, it's not even yours and you're giving, it's easy. Because it wasn't yours to begin with. It wasn't yours to begin with. Subhanallah. The other question that arises is, how come not dunya and akhirah? Usually when Allah mentions akhirah, He mentions what? Dunya. Very few cases He mentions akhirah wal ula. Ula. For example, even for the Prophet wasallam. وَلَلْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى He didn't mention dunya either. But there are other places, fit dunya وَالْآخِرَةُ Dunya and akhira. So what's the difference between saying dunya and saying what word? Al-Ula. This ayah is about the ownership of Allah. The word dunya comes from the word adna which means inferior. Ula means everything before, akhira means everything after. Which word includes more ownership? Something inferior or everything before? So the word that befits the ownership of Allah is used here. The context is the ownership of Allah, so the word that is better suited to Allah's majesty is al-ula than dunya. Dunya is an inferior word. And it's aqal min al-ula. It's less than al-ula. 
It is less than al-ula, so that word isn't used. فَأَنذَرْتُكُمْ نَارًا Then, thus, I have warned you. I mentioned this before, but I can't help myself from saying it again. In the previous surah, Salih alayhi salam warned the people, نَقَتَ اللَّهِ She camel of Allah, watch out. People didn't take the warning seriously. Allah is teaching these Quraysh, he first he gave him a lesson of history in the previous surah. Now he's saying it's not. Don't think a messenger is warning you. I'm warning you. فَأَنذَرْتُكُمْ Then I have warned you. In the previous surah, a messenger was warning. In this surah, Allah Himself is warning. In the previous surah, the messenger was warning, watch out, don't do this. He was warning to stay away from a bad deed. In this surah, Allah is warning you not of the bad deed, but of the consequences. It's more powerful for two reasons. He's not just saying, don't do bad things. He's saying, I'm warning you about a fire. He mentioned the punishment first. He mentioned the punishment. Naran, taladda. Taladda is something, the, the, the Arabic equivalents are, tatawakkad wa tatahawwaj. Something that keeps sparking. Something that keeps, you know, the, the kinds of flame that make lots of noise. Right? This taladda. And this originally is tataladda. But the anger is manifest of Allah. When He doesn't say tataladda, He says, Taladda, it actually illustrates anger of Allah Azza wa So I'm warning you about a fire that keeps blazing and keeps popping and keeps crackling. SubhanAllah. Now after he gives us this warning, حَضَّرْتُكُمْ وَخَوَّفْتُكُمْ naran As Shawkani comments, rahimahullah, naran, I'm, I'm thoroughly warning you and I'm, I'm scaring you. You know, you should know something about the word indar. Indar, that's andartukum, I'm warning you. Munvir commonly translated as warner, right? What does indar mean? Indar means to sit somebody down and to make them aware of the entire situation as if to assume they don't realize the danger they're in. You make them aware of the entire situation, you make them realize if they continue the way they're going, there's a great danger ahead of them, and then finally to scare them of that danger. To thoroughly inform and warn, that's, that's called indar. By using that word in, in this ayah, Allah is saying the Qur'an is enough to make you fully aware of the kind of situation you're in, fully aware of where you're headed, and fully aware of what that's going to do to you. That's indhar. فَأَنذَرْتُكُمْ نَارًا Another very subtle beauty of Qur'an. Allah warns about the fire in the past tense. I have warned you. أَنذَرْتُكُمْ I've warned you. Past tense. Similarly, we wrote, read before, إِنَّا أَنذَرْنَاكُمْ عَذَابًا قَرِيبًا We have warned you. No doubt it is we who have warned you about it. Past tense again. Past tense warning. Similarly, فَقُلْ أَنذَرْتُكُمْ صَاعِقَةً مِثْلَ ثَاعِقَةِ عَادٍ وَثَمُودِ I have warned you about a, a, an explosion, like the likes of the explosion of Ad and Thamud. Warned, warned, warned. Past tense. One place in Qur'an Allah says, إِنَّمَا أُنذِرُكُمْ بِالْوَحِي I warn you, present tense. I am warning you, present tense, with, by means of revelation. Al-Sha'arawi rahimahullah commented beautifully upon this. He said, when Allah warns about the hereafter, that is one warning. But when wahi, is wahi one thing or many things? It's many things. The past tense illustrates al-huduth, one thing. The present tense illustrates a continuum of things, many things. So wahi can warn you by means of worldly consequences, eventual consequences, you know, the shortfall of good deeds, the, you know, or, or losing your good deeds, or earning too many bad deeds, etc. Many different kinds of warnings. But then there's one kind of warning that's like the ultimate warning, which is what? Hellfire. When the fire is being warned about, when the day of judgment is being warned about, it's considered one. Andartu, past tense. Past tense illustrates one. When Allah warns by means of wahi, He says, I am warning you, meaning wahi keeps coming down. 
So I keep warning you again. So in that context, the present tense is better applied, subhanAllah. لِأَنَّ الْإِنذَارِ هُنَا مُسْتَمِرٌ طَالَمَ الْوَحِي SubhanAllah. As long as wahi was continuing, the inthar would continue, so the present tense is better suited. لَا يَصْلَاهَا إِلَّا الْأَشْقَى No one will be thrown, no one will throw themselves, yasla, literally to cast oneself. No one will chuck them oneself in except the most wretched, the most unfortunate of the person. May Allah not make us from them. Al-Ashqa. Now, was Ashqa mentioned like we said in the previous surah? ba'atha Ashqaha. Ashqa was mentioned in the previous surah. Now Allah is exp- there. What he did, he got up and he killed a she camel. Here, what's he gonna get? What's he gonna get? No one will be thrown into this blazing, crackling fire except al-Ashqa. Now, this is a parallel, some of you were not here earlier, so I should repeat. In the previous surah, the crime was against the she-camel. The miracle Allah sent. In this surah, the crime is against another miracle Allah sent, the Qur'an. Two crimes, both against the miracle of Allah. In one of them, the crime was, the, the, the instruction was, stay away from the she-camel. In this case, the instruction was, come towards the Qur'an. The rebellion, the rebellious, the ashqa, what did they do? In that case, they were told, stay away, and what did they do? They came to it. And in this case, they were told, come to it, and what did they do? They went away. So, الَّذِي كَذَّبَ What's coming? وَتَوَلَّى He turned away. He turned away. He did that one approach, what he shouldn't have approached. This one walked away from what he shouldn't have walked away from. The contrast has been established. Both, because in the end, they both rebelled against what the, the, the gift that Allah had sent them. So, this لَا يَصْلَاهَا إِلَّا الْأَشْقَى no one will be thrown into this particular type of fire, talawwa, has not been prepared for anyone except al-ashqa, this specific kind of kafir. Because Allah says, no one will go into it except al-ashqa. There are other kinds of fire for other kinds of kuffar. But this special fire has been created for al-ashqa, the most unfortunate. So who is this most unfortunate person? What made him so unfortunate? The next ayah is explaining, الَّذِي كَذَّبَ وَتَوَلَّى he lied against the truth. By the way, previously, did we read takthib before? وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَ It's coming up again. He lied against the truth. And then the high crime. The high crime is وَتَوَلَّى He lied against the truth on the inside. And how did it manifest on the outside? He turned away. What did he turn away from? The revelation. He turned away from the message. And as Asaim al-Ra'i comments, because the previous passage had mentioned giving to the poor, who else does he turn away from? The ones who asked him. He turns away from them too. الَّذِي كَذَّبَ وَتَوَلَّى Now Allah doesn't say, what did he lie against? What did he turn away from? He didn't. Remember the, the theme of this surah is opening the scope. Figure out what did he turn away from? Figure out what did he lie against? Isn't it clear from the context already? SubhanAllah. الَّذِي كَذَّبَ وَتَوَلَّى وَسَيُجَنَّبُهَا الْأَتْقَى And the most fearful, atqa. This is not muttaqi. Muttaqi is someone who has taqwa. Atqa is the one who has the most taqwa. Someone who has the most taqwa is called atqa. This is, you know, seerat afdalu tafdeel. Allah says, and the one who has the most taqwa will be warded away from it. Far away from it, he'll put to the side. Janaba, to be on the side. Tajannub, to be warded off, meaning to move to the side. A harm, harmful thing was coming, you move to the side. Tajneeb, which is the word here, he will be taken far, far, far away from the harmful. He will be moved all the way to the side, to the security. Okay, so وَسَيُجَنَّبُهَا And he will soon be turned far away. Who will be turned far away? Al-Atqa. Uh, by the way, ha. Turned away from it, the most righteous of them will be turned away from it. 
الواحد says الأتقى أبو بكر الصديق في قول جميع المفسرين انتهى الأتقى refers to أبو بكر الصديق رضي الله عنه because these ayat when he gave and he was fearful of Allah is in the context when he, when he freed a group of slaves from the kuffar who used to torture them a Muslim slaves he freed them and some, most of the mufassirun say that's where the ayat, these ayat came down and, uh, uh, and that's their historical context now this la yaslaha illa al-ashqa there's something really beautiful in this something really amazing no one will go in it except al-ashqa and who will be saved from it? Al-Atqa. But when Allah talks about being saved, He doesn't say, La yujannabuha illa al-Atqa. No one will be saved from it except the people of the most taqwa. He didn't put it like that. He said, when it came to burning, He said, No one will be entered in it except the worst. But when it came to being saved, He didn't say, The only people that will be saved are the people with the most taqwa. He didn't put it like that. He just said, The people of the most taqwa will be saved from it. Now by, by saying it like that, we learn they are not the only ones who will be saved from it. People who, don't, who have less than the most taqwa will also have hope. It's a mercy of Allah that He doesn't keep consistent the style of language and say, لَا يُجَنَّبُهَا إِلَّا الْأَتْقَى SubhanAllah, it's a mercy of Allah. Because if those were the words, that would mean, unless you have the highest form of taqwa, you're done. Right, that's what that means. So the word, the language of the Quran is very, very, very precise. Very precise. Allah, you know, He says the the the, the most righteous, the people of the most taqwa, will be saved. But by saying that, He's saying others will be saved too. May Allah make us from the people of the most taqwa. So how do you become a person of the most taqwa? Alladhi yu'ti malahu yatazakka. The one who gave his money. Now the thing is, in Arabic, you expect li yatazakka. He gave his money so that he may be cleansed. So that he may clean himself up. Remember, the previous surah told us, who is the one who succeeded? قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا زَكَّاهَا And this surah is teaching, you want to become clean? You want to purify yourself? How do you do it? يُؤْتِي مَا لَهُ He gave his wealth. But the, what the translation I'm trying to get at is, he gave his wealth in order to cleanse himself. Right? But the in order to part would have been the letter lam. الَّذِي يُؤْتِي مَا لَهُ But there's no lamb here. You know what that is teaching us? Give wealth, you won't purify yourself. Who's gonna purify you? Allah is gonna purify you. Giving of wealth will not purify you in and of itself. In the end, Allah Azza wa will purify you. This is not cause and effect. So what this yatazakka illustrates is in hopes that he will cleanse himself. In hopes of cleaning himself, he gives wealth. That Allah will clean him. That Allah will cleanse the filth inside of him. Remember in the previous session, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that dua, where we ask Allah to clean us, right? أَنْتَ خَيْرُ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا You're the best of those who can cleanse it. So here we're learning that lesson again. So what's the purpose of giving wealth? Cleaning oneself up as a gift of Allah Azza wa You give the gift to the poor, and Allah cleans you up. And Allah cleans you up, subhanAllah. May Allah make us all cleansed. The other benefit of this ayah, it's so beautiful. You know the surah began, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى the one who gave a lot. But here we don't read, الَّذِي يُعْطِي مَا لَهُ What do we read? الَّذِي يُعْطِي مَا لَهُ He gives. Allah doesn't say He gives a lot. He says to cleanse yourself, the condition isn't to give a lot now. To cleanse yourself, just start giving. And you know, there in the, in the previous setting, أَعْطَى It was left, left open. Allah didn't say, أَعْطَى مَا لَهُ He gave a lot of His wealth. Allah didn't mention wealth. So what do you give a lot of if you don't have wealth? You give your time, you give your effort, you give your youth, everything. 
But if Allah mentioned mal there, what about the poor people? They don't have a lot to give. But when it came to giving, he didn't say giving a lot here, he just said giving. Here he mentioned mal. Yu'ti malahu. Why? Because even the poorest person can give something. Everyone can give something. If you only have two dates, just take a scrape, the peel off, give that. Give a seed, give something. Give something. Allah doesn't ask you to give a lot because you may not have a lot. And how do we know that? Allah doesn't say, يُعْطِي مَا لَهُ He says, يُعْطِي مَا لَهُ But when it came to giving in general, which means give of your loves, give of your aspirations, give of your youth, give of your talent, and give of your wealth if you have, give of your life, then you أَعْطَى no, no limitation, no objects placed. Here an object has been placed. Which is an amazing illustration, again, of giving of wealth, even just keep giving a little, don't stop. Make it a habit. Every time you come to masjid, just drop something off. Give some to the needy. Give some to the sadaqah Just make it a habit. Keep cleansing your wealth. Keep losing the love of it. Keep your, tell your children why you should, they should do it. Every time you give them a gift, teach them to give sadaqah. Teach them to be grateful. Teach them to be giving people. We're, te- we're giving our kids too many toys. Too many toys. And they're not giving anything to anyone. So much so, some kid comes over to your house and they grab one of your kid's toys. What happens to your child? They have a hernia right there. He's holding my doll, he's holding my teddy bear. You know, we're, we're teaching them greed. This is the age where we have to teach them what? Giving. Because if they learn greed now, it's never gonna leave. It's never gonna leave. You think your kids are good just because they come into masjid? This attitude of giving and not giving is the key in this surah. It's the key to have a, have a clean person. So teach your children to give. Give to each other, give to neighbors, give in sadaqah. Right? Train them in how, and give of the things they love. Teach yourself this, teach your children this. You know, for Eid, buy new clothes, right? And give half of them to somebody else. Or buy new clothes and give them to somebody else altogether. We bought this, you know, because Allah will give us even better. Yeah? How much better? A lot better. Really? Yeah. Teach your children that. Make them imagine what Allah will give them. Right? Give them a love of that. This is a very hard thing to do, but we have to do it. We have to do it. Especially when they're young. Once they become teenagers, forget it. The ship has sailed. The email has been sent. I think we need to make a new expression. Right? The ship has sailed is old. So the new one for me is the email has been sent. So you can't unsend. Right? It's gone. So may Allah Azza wa Jal give, give us the ability to become a giving people and to instill that into our children. Beautiful ayah. He says he gave to cleanse himself and not just, he didn't have anyone in front of him that he had, that had done him any favor that should be paid back. In other words, you know how you, somebody, you went and stayed at somebody's house, so you feel kind of obligated to them, so you send them a gift, or you send them a card, you send them something. It's not just about sadaqah, but giving someone you feel we should give them. You know, it's, it's societal pressure. You go visit family abroad, what do you say? You should give them something, because they're gonna feel that, they're gonna say something. So you're not giving them out of love. You're giving them because you don't want to hear it afterwards. Right? This is, this is the attitude, right? It's, this is not the attitude of giving in this case. This is giving for who? For what? This is the reason for giving. And then what happens in our families is, there's a needy member of the family, and you're about to give them, and your mother comes to you, and your aunt comes to you, and your cousin, don't give them. Remember those people? Last year they, you know, they left a little bit in their plate, or they said this one thing about us, that we should never forgive. You know, and they come to you and they stop you from giving. Your own family, the first people you should give, your own family stops you from giving. We have to give not for what the consequences will be. We have to give to cleanse ourselves. 
And if the worldly consequences are bad, that in and of itself cleanses us, because it cleans our intentions. It cleans up our intentions. Because we're not doing it because we're going to become popular. We're doing it, now we're going to... Don't do it to get in trouble. Do it to seek Allah's pleasure. But in the end, don't let the fear of consequence stop you from giving. And stop you from, you know, uh, uh, this sort of uh, attitude. Now, so now, the meaning of the ayah is, and there was not a single person that had a blessing for him, a gift for him, that should be paid back. Ni'matin tujda. Another meaning is, how can there ever be anyone who is going to pay him back for what he gave? In other words, when you give somebody, is there anybody who's going to be able to pay you back anyway? Nobody. In the end, nobody knows how hard it was for you. Like if you gave somebody $2, they paid you $2 back. But maybe the, them giving you $2 is a lot easier for them. And you giving them $2 was a lot harder for you. They know the physical value of the money. They don't know the effort, the difficulty, the entire situation. They, don't, they can't quantify that. Jaza means to give someone absolutely, completely, so there's no feeling of dissatisfaction left. Actually, in reality, nobody can do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. And that's why the next ayah makes such perfect strategic sense. What does he say? إِلَّا بْتِغَاءَ وَجْهِ رَبِّهِ الْأَعْلَى Except in pursuit of the face, which means pleasure, contentment, of His Most High Lord, Al-A'la, His Most Supreme Lord. By mentioning the, the ulya, the, the height, the elevation of Allah, what is it contrasting with? The lowering of ourselves. The one who has a lot of wealth feels what about themselves? High? Once they understand Allah is Al-A'la, then they become Al-Asfal, they become the lowest. They, become the, they lower themselves. So this is an ayah of humility. All I want is my supreme Lord, my supreme master to be pleased with me. Ibtigha means to seek out and to demand. And also it means to rebel. Baghi comes from the same word. Imam Rahib combines the two meanings and says, you seek it so badly, you cross all the limits in trying to get it. You, you, know, you go beyond the norm to try and get it. What is it that you're going beyond the norm to try to get? The face of your master, the contentment, the smile of your master. SubhanAllah. And finally, and by the way, the ibtigha'a is mansub, the, the fatha and the ibtigha'a. It has three interpretations, I won't go into the grammar too much. What that simply, simply means is that fatha indicates it is the only reason for pursuit. That's the only reason they gave. There was no other motive, and it was the exclusive motive, and that's the fatha. That's what the, the benefit of the fatha is. Another benefit of the fatha is it could be maf'ulun lahu. Maf'ulun lahu. What that means is it is because of that pursuit that they gave. Meaning they were pursuing Allah through prayer and through other good deeds. And they, they figured what's an, another really easy way I can get really close to his pleasure. And they started giving. That's another interpretation of just that fatha, that nasb state of ibtigha'a in the ayah. And finally we conclude, wala sawfa yarda. Ibn Kathir uh, Rahimahullah says, وَلَسَوْفَ يَرْضَى مَنْ اتَّصَفَ بِهَذِهِ الصِّفَاتِ The one who, who acquires the properties, the attributes, the characteristics that have been described just now in this surah, this person will truly very very soon be very content. This world is all about being content. Why do people run after money? They'll be content. Why? What, what's gonna make you so content? It'll be that car, it'll be that house, it'll be that wedding, it'll be those clothes, it'll be something you think that's gonna make you content. Allah says, you develop this, I'll give you that what you're running after. You're really not running after money in reality. Allah is teaching us, what are you really running after? Contentment. You just want to be happy. 
And you think money is going to make you happy. And Allah is teaching you something more. You do this, you seek Allah's face, and I'll give you that which you're running towards. وَلَا سَوْفَ يَبْلَىٰهِ Similarly, Allah says, أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنَّ الْقُلُوبِ Know that by remembering Allah, the hearts attain satisfaction. Hearts will be at unrest until they attain the remembrance of Allah. Then they will be finally tranquil, satisfied. The, the itch is gone. The, the, you know, the restlessness is gone, subhanAllah. وَلَا سَوْفَ The lamb, two more comments and we're done with the surah inshaAllah ta'ala. The lamb is actually in, in the Arabic language, can be used to illustrate an oath that hasn't even been said. Meaning, وَلَا سَوْفَ according to Ibn Kathir rahimahullah even says, وَتَاللَّهِ لَسَوْفَ يَرْضَى بِمَا نُعْطِيهِ مِنَ الْكِرَامَةِ وَالْجَزَاءِ الْعَظِيمِ And I swear by Allah that He will soon be very very pleased because of what we give Him from the honor and nobility and the most noble and beautiful of rewards. But the meaning tallahi, I truly swear by Allah is understood when you just begin with la. Allah doesn't just say, وَسَوْفَ يَرْضَى He says, وَلَا سَوْفَ يَرْضَى What's the benefit of swearing? You swear when somebody doesn't believe you. Allah says, believe it, you will be happy. I'm telling you, you'll be happy. Why do you talk like that? When somebody says, I don't know, what I'm running after is making me pretty happy, I think. This person needs to be told, I'm telling you, I swear to you, you will be content. You won't have any other desires. You will not be in any unrest. You will find tranquility in yourself. And soon he will attain contentment. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah finally commenting on this surah, he said that a lot of mufassirun have said that this, these ayat come about, uh, come in regards to Abu Bakr Siddiq. His contention is that he didn't find any direct narration to that effect. He only found some mufassirun saying, many have said, but not finding who the many are. So he wasn't able to trace it back. So he says it may be about him, but it, since the language is general, see, he says, you know, فَإِنَّ لَفْضَحَ الْعُمُومِ The wording is general. So the lessons are general too, even though they may apply to the greatest companion radiallahu anhu. Actually most sahaba, most mufassirun thought it was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. You know why? Because it says al-atqa, the one who has the most taqwa. Just because of that word, a lot of the mufassirun interpreted this, these ayat to be referring directly first to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So with that we conclude inshaAllah ta'ala, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk, wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It was long.